Why do we sound so good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. Today, I am talking to Susan Moore. She is the Director of Programs for Writers at Literary Arts. Thanks so much for joining me, Susan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. How did you end up here in Portland working for Literary Arts? Oh, well, that's a terrific question. Um, I moved to Portland in 1988, actually, and I had I studied at PSU. I got my master's in writing, and I was um, lucky enough in 2004 to receive a fellowship from Literary Arts as a writer, and um, that was kind of my introduction to the organization, and then the more I found out about them, the more I really wanted to uh, work there. So I was lucky enough to be hired in 2006. Well, that's so exciting, I would imagine, because you are dealing with awarding fellowships to people now and as a recipient mm-hmm. i bet that you really know what that means yeah i mean it's 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 wonderful and the fellowships program has definitely grown and it's wonderful this year we our fellowships are for $3500 i think when i got mine it was uh, for 500 mm-hmm. so um it's it's just terrific the way the program has grown and that we're able to award more to writers and who is able to apply for these fellowships for the or, for the fellowships, um, it's for Oregon residents um, in in nonfiction and poetry and um, fiction, young readers literature, drama. Um, we also award about two fellowships a year to publishers, small publishers. So, and the great thing about the fellowships is there's no charge to apply, and and I think it's a fairly straightforward application. People submit a writing sample, and then they fill out a form, talk a little bit about themselves as a writer. And that's all they need to do. So, yeah, it's it's their fellowships for Oregon residents of Oregon, Oregon writers. Oh, that's great! It sounds wonderful that you're also offering fellowships to publishers who really have a lot of fingers in the writers in our region. You know, really spreading out, learning who's Definitely. doing what. I mean, I mean, we need the small publishers to um, help. You know, provide a space for writers to publish their work, and that's one of our publishers this year, Atelier's Twenty Six. Um, they published a book by Margaret Malone, who was a fellowship recipient a few years ago, and that book went on to be a Penn finalist, for, mm. um, which is a pretty significant award. So um, it's just great that you know we believe in keeping supporting the literary community as much as we can. So mm-hmm. and supporting publishers is a is a definitely an important part of that. I was so excited to see a Writers in the Schools, a program that you have at Literary Arts. What are you doing with that program, and what schools are you serving? Um, the youth programs, uh, Writers in the Schools, is part of our um, youth programs, and we serve all the Portland public schools. We're working on expanding into East County, so but we have residencies uh, throughout all the Portland public high schools. Mm, I bet that's really rewarding. Yeah, it is. I mean, we publish an anthology of their work every year, and um, a lot of students they get they get the opportunity to interact with someone who's you know a practicing writer, mm-hmm. and and it's also the students are kind of a captive audience because mm. they don't always. They may not always think of themselves as writers or, or, you know, be interested in that at first, but usually by the end of the residency, a lot of them um, discover their voice as writers. So that's mm-hmm. really exciting. I moved here the same year you did, and when I first came, one of the first things I did was buy a, a season subscription to Portland Arts and Lectures. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's a wonderful um, series. That's a five-part series that we do at the Arlene Nister Concert Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows us to bring in um, a lot of great writers, Jennifer Egan, Jacqueline Woodson. So, yeah, that's and and the great thing about that series too is the writers often, um, not apart from giving the lecture um, at the Schnitz, they also come for school visits. They meet with local writers, so they really 
they're here for a short time, but we try to, you know, get them embedded in the community as much as we can while they're here. Yeah, it was so much fun to poke around on the website. There are so many incredible programs. And the one that really attracted me was the Delve Readers Seminars. Uh-huh. Kind uh-huh. of feels like a, a book group led by a professional. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I mean, there, there. It's not a, it's not a class. It's not a literature class. It's, it's, it's like a book group, but it's led by. You have the person who's leading the discussions. Is, um, they're, they're a scholar and they're an expert in the writer that they're discussing. But it's also very, um, it's discussion based. So mm-hmm. you're not sitting there listening to a lecture. Everybody's kind of participating. And, um, if you've ever been a member of a book group before, I mean, it's just you interact with the the text in such a different way that you do if you're just reading it on your own. Mm -hmm. The one, the title that looked so fascinating to me is called Talking to Grief. Oh, right. Yeah, I think that's, um, I believe that's taught by Lois Levine. Yeah, that that looks like a great, um, that that one's coming up uh, next month, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. I just had the good fortune to interview Cheryl Strayed, and we talked a lot about loss and what it can bring to your life that was a really great conversation. I would imagine that uh, reading seminar is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the great thing about those seminars is they bring, you know, a lot of people from different backgrounds and they're all focused on the text. Um, it's great that you mentioned Cheryl Strayed because she's actually hosting the Oregon Book Awards ceremony in April this year. So oh. we're really excited to be working with her on that. Um, oh, I imagine. Yeah, she's, been a, she's been a friend of the organization for many years. Yes, it's so much fun to see her book being adapted into a play that's going to be at Portland Center Stage coming up in February. I know. I really want to see that. Yeah, I, I saw that. I think that's great. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I imagine you see that a lot with various writers. You bring in adaptations into film, into plays, all sorts of shifts. Yeah, I think uh, Willie Vlotten win, won the book, Oregon Book Award a couple of years ago for uh, Lean on Pete, and I mm-hmm. think that that was uh, recently made into a movie. Um, and I think Patrick DeWitt has uh, had his books made into movies. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting to see the progression of authors. It's interesting because sometimes the fellowship is the first um, touch point that we have with a writer, and then to watch their careers develop um, over time is just really gratifying and exciting. How do you believe that stories change the world or how do you think they live in the world? I think stories can change the world because they provide an opportunity for people to feel empathy mm. and and often unless you hear someone you can hear statistics or you can hear um, a, a really general discussion of what's happening in the world but until you hear someone really tell their own story of what they experience I think that that's just a very different way of experiencing different viewpoints and so I think that that's really important, the thing that, that stories provide us. Mm. What have you read recently that really touched your heart? I read a book called Severance by an mm. author called Ming La, mm-hmm. uh, which was a fascinating kind of dystopian discussion of a, a plague in New York. It, so it's in the uh, not-too-distant future, but it, it goes back and forth between um, you know regular office life in New York City and then this uh, the way that so- the society gets radically changed by this plague, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. And I also read uh, uh, Red Clocks by Lonnie Zumas, which is, uh, is also takes place in the not-too-distant future, but it takes place in Astoria, um, mm. follows the lives of these five women. It's really, um, it's really interesting. Oh, so much fun to hear about books. I've, I haven't heard of either of those. Oh, well, you should definitely check them out. Yeah, <laughs> I just read The Library Book by Susan Orlean. Oh, I gave that to my son for Christmas. I have not read that, but I've heard it. I've heard it. It looks really good. I yeah. really liked it. I it went so many places I was not anticipating. Mm-hmm. 
You it know? starts with a fire, right? Yes, it, it, it seems as though it's going to really dive into the fire, and then it just, it's like a library. It goes all over the place. Oh, wow. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I loved thinking about hands passing books, you know, and the various people. And certainly you touch thousands of people connecting writers to stories, to audience, and just deepening people's experience of books is such an exciting thing to put your mind to. Yeah, we we're lucky to serve, you know, over 20,000 readers and writers a year and mm-hmm. and all in, we meet them all in different places. You you know, the people that come to our free events, um, you know, we do Slamlandia here and we do a thing called One Page Wednesday where people can um stand up and share one page of their work. Um and you know, with that and the writing classes and the reader seminars and um the Portland Book Festival which which brings together so many people around books. It's just really exciting, the range of people and experiences that we're able to um, interact with. Hmm. What's inspired you most recently? I mean, it could be as something as small as something beautiful you saw today or a piece of art, some a painting or a book or a, another person that you work with. Well, I think once a year I get to call people that have received a fellowship and they're not expecting the call. I don't know them. I'm calling them out of the blue. You know, it's it's always a, a little exciting. With some people, it's a little awkward. Um, but when I tell them that they've won a fellowship and, and you know, they're so excited and they can't believe it, um, and just the way that they respond to that, I find that very inspiring. Because mm. as a writer, you receive, like, so many, like, no, don't do it, you know, rejection. Mm. And to, to just keep going is such a is such a prize in itself. So it's it's just a really inspiring moment when I'm able to call people and tell them, like, I'm calling from Literary Arts and you've received a fellowship. Um, the way that their response and the excitement and the disbelief um, is just really inspiring to me. Hmm. That's great. How is Literary Arts responding to the need for our community to hear diverse stories? You know, that's something that we've, um, we're paying a lot of attention to and we're when we're uh, trying to respond to that in different ways. Um, one thing that we did a couple of years ago is we started the or um, the fellowship for writers of color. So mm-hmm. um, that that's a fellowship that's specifically it's anyone who's a writer of color can uh, apply for that. There, and we also try to um, define our mission broadly so that we include all forms of literature and storytelling, and that we try to highlight. Um, more writers of color and and support their stories. Um, I think there's um, a fair amount of the writers that we present at uh, Portland Book Festival. They're, they're, if you look at the lineup, it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. We try to also um, create equitable access to our programs and and work to build a intergenerational audience and diverse audience for literature. But it is challenging for sure. Yeah, I imagine. And what do you like to read? You know, for relaxation, do you mostly gravitate to books? Do you read magazines? Uh, I myself, I mostly read. Um, I read a lot of fiction and a, a fair amount of poetry. Um, you know, a couple nonfiction books a year. I try to mix in there with the rest, but um, I I def- definitely read a lot of novels. Mm-hmm. And what are your favorite things to do in Portland? My favorite things to do in Portland. Um, I love to get coffee because I'm a coffee aficionado. <laughs> um, I, uh, I like to go to, uh, you know, plays and theater. I enjoy that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Live music, I think um, I, I like to do that. And um, I also like to read and just 
you know, unwind and be quiet. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's nice. Which I think, uh, yeah, you can, do, you can also do that in Portland. Um, Tell us a little bit about the free literary events uh, you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, we have several of those a month here um, at, at our downtown space. I don't know if you've been to our, our space. We have an event space downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, a lot of the events that we do are partnerships with other organizations or other reading series. Um, like we recently started partnering with Slamlandia, and we, every, every thurs, Thursday of the month um, they, they produce Slamlandia here. Another series we do is called Insight, Queer Writers Read, and that's um, two writers, uh, Kate Carol DeGutis and Kate Gray. Um, They curate an every other month uh, series. And then um, we also do something called One Page Wednesday, which we host every month now, the first Wednesday of the month. Um, And as I mentioned, that's an opportunity for a writer to get up and share one page of writing that they're working on. Uh, We also partner with PDX Jazz, which um, is and their series called Discover Jazz, which is every other month or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also we have, um, yeah, those are the ones that I can remember that I can think of most clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we part, we do lots of one-offs um, with other organizations too, and writers that 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 want to that present. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the things that we're talking about, you can take a look at the website, which is literary-arts.org, and there are. All sorts of wonderful events coming up, lectures, book groups, free events. Uh, I would encourage everybody to take a look. It's just an amazing organization doing so many terrific things here in Portland. So thanks, Susan, for everything you're doing. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'll look forward to seeing you in the world. Yeah, I would love that. (laughs) All right. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Thank you. There are so many great programs to avail yourself of at Literary Arts. I wanted to make sure that you know where to go. 925 Southwest Washington Street in Portland, 97205. And again, you can check out all these incredible services and programs at literary-arts.org. There's the Portland Arts and Lectures, youth programs, the Oregon Book Awards and Fellowships, the Delve Readers Seminars, and the Portland Book Festival. Read all about it at literary-arts.org. And now, back by popular demand, Cheryl Strayed. She's going to be hosting the 2019 Oregon Book Awards Ceremony, which celebrates the state's most accomplished writers on April 22nd at 7.30 p.m. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. Today, I am talking to one of our own beloved writers, Cheryl Strayed. Her book, Tiny Beautiful Things, Advice on Love and Life from Dear Sugar, has been adapted into a play that's going to be at Portland Center Stage February 23rd through March 31st. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, just hanging out and talking prior to starting recording is there's so many wonderful things to talk about. I know, and I'm so, so excited that Tiny Beautiful Things is coming to Portland, Portland Center Stage. Yeah. It really means a lot to me. I can imagine it does. Uh, you're just beloved here, and everyone is oh, so excited about every single thing you do. It, it, You know, any posts, all the things you write. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah, you. I was thumbing through my uh, Dear Sugar book this morning, matter of fact, and something jumped out at me, and it was the word becoming. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to resonate for me about talking to you today because this book has now become a play uh plus your evolution as an artist so much there right um how did the play 
become. Wow. Well, I guess it begins way back when I became sugar. Mm. You know, I think that, you know, obviously that the, the play is connected to the book is connected to this this work I began doing really kind of by accident. I always say Tiny Beautiful Things is the book I wrote by accident. Mm. When I began writing the Dear Sugar column, I had just finished the first draft of my memoir, Wild. And I was had sent it off to my editor and I was waiting to hear her feedback. When you sell a book, you you always get that feedback from the editor. You do a revision. So I knew I would be spending the next year revising Wild. Mm-hmm. And I got this email from my friend, Steve Almond. He said, I'm writing this column called Dear Sugar for the Rumpus, this website called The Rumpus, and nobody reads it. And it doesn't pay anything and I'm not interested in doing it. And, and, you know, and honestly, the column was going to end then. So he, but he just had this idea. Maybe Cheryl Strayed would like to do it, he thought to himself. So he emailed me and we hardly knew each other then. We were just acquaintances. And he said, do you want to take it over? And it was one of those things I look back now and I really think, wow, it's so important um, to listen, to trust your gut. That's advice I give a lot as sugar. And that's exactly what I did when I said yes to that proposition. Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of really logical ways, it, it, it should, my answer should have been no. Mm. It really did pay nothing. I don't mean that in any sort of hyperbolic way. I mean zero. <laughs> For a long time, people, I realized, would think I meant, oh, I just paid a little. But no, I mean nothing. <laughs> and, um, and it wasn't a column that anyone was reading. There were all these reasons, uh, you know, that I, that I should just pass on that. I was, uh, had two little kids. I was needing to put my attention to the revision of Wild. And I needed to make money. Mm-hmm. My husband and I were broke. My husband's a documentary filmmaker. We make our living as artists here in mm-hmm. Portland. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are all these good reasons to say no. But what happened is I trusted my instincts. I felt this spark of life when I considered what it would be like to attempt to give people advice, to counsel them about their secrets and their sorrows and their struggles. I had never done that before. I had never gone through therapy myself or taken a class in psychology. But I felt that as a writer, that was my work, that I was always contemplating what does it mean to be human. And that's essentially the work I did as an advice columnist, as Sugar. Hmm. So then the play became because... (laughs) So the column became (laughs) and the book became, Mm -hmm. you know, there again, you know, so I was writing this column, Mm -hmm. doing the revision of Wild, and it it grew this cult following. Uh, Every week on the rumpus, uh, the Dear Sugar would come out on Thursdays at noon, Mm And the website would would basically collapse. I don't know if that's the right. What do, what do websites do? They would go offline mm. because so many people it would crash. That's no. the word. <laughs> so many people would click on that column, mm-hmm. and it was this column. You know, I was writing anonymously, so I couldn't say as Cheryl, like, "Hey, everyone, read this column." It was really something that people passed um, online to each other, tweeted about, posted about. You have to read this, and. So it grew this following. Mm. And as Wild was coming down the tracks about to be published, I realized I needed to unburden myself of the anonymity of sugar. I always knew that I would. Mm -hmm. I never wrote the column thinking that it was going to stay a secret forever that I was sugar. Um, But, you know, so before Wild came out, about a month before Wild came out, I revealed my identity as Mm -hmm. sugar. 
And shortly after that, uh, the book Tiny Beautiful Things was published. And Tiny Beautiful Things, it came out just four months after Wild. I remember so that. that was a big, crazy summer for me. It was oh. the summer of 2012. Wild was published in March of 2012 mm-hmm. and, and Tiny Beautiful Things in July. And when Tiny Beautiful Things was published, Wild was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. And so I had this extremely explosive you know, launch, essentially rocket ride mm-hmm. in my career. Mm-hmm. Tiny Beautiful Things um, was number five on the list when it came out. It was suddenly everything in my professional life changed. And so fascinating, too, because both pieces speak so deeply to you personally. Yeah. Not only does your career explode, but your personal life is just, it's right. everywhere. Suddenly, millions of people became acquainted acquainted with me in a really intimate way. Well, and what's so beautiful about it in my view and for being on the other side and enjoying Wild so much and same with Tiny Beautiful Things. Thank you. Yes, is that you gave to me as a reader something like food, emotional food. Mm -hmm. And I think it really speaks to that explosion at that time of the need for so many people, which continues. Absolutely. To have authentic connection. And certainly every time the website crashed, it's an indication, you know, people want to connect yeah. on a deep level. Yeah, I, that that was such a revelation to me. People were hungry for sincerity, mm-hmm. for emotional honesty, for emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And th- that, you know, as I developed as a writer over the years, that was uh, in my 20s, and early 30s, I think that that was something I really struggled with because I was afraid uh, that that I, you know, that I was too sincere and too earnest. Mm-hmm. I was too preoccupied with emotional lives. The the work that I was seeing get congratulated a lot online was very snarky, was funny, was kind of this, you know, sort of po- postmodern irony and this, these sort of, um, you know, hijinks on the page. Mm-hmm. And I love a lot of that work too, but I knew that that's just not who, who I was. What I had to offer was sincerity. Mm. And I thought it was going to be mocked and rejected. When I first started writing the Dear Sugar column, that was the thing I was the most afraid of. Mm. I even said, I, when I look back to those first emails between me and um, Steve Almond and the, the, and the editors of The Rumpus, um, uh, Isaac Fitzgerald and, and Stephen Elliott, I was saying to them, well, you know, are you sure you guys want me to write this column? Because mm. I'm not funny. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to make people cry more than I make mm. them laugh. I'm not in real life, just on the right. page as a writer. Mm. Uh, I'm not snarky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not that kind of writer. Yes. And so what happened was really fascinating is, is so I just wrote what I, the way I write, I, I, I answered these letters the way I saw fit. And that is the great liberation of, of being paid nothing for your work. You can do whatever you want to do. And that's what I did as Dear Sugar. I gave that advice column the full force of my humanity and the full force of everything I knew as a writer, hmm. everything I'd learned. And people responded because they believed me. They saw in the stories I told themselves. They saw in the letters that people wrote to me their own pain, their own confusion. And, you know, as soon as I saw that people were responding positively to that, Mm -hmm. it made me stronger. Mm -hmm. I trusted it. There was this kind of give and take every week between me and the audience uh, they didn't know who I was, but I was telling them every week 
really deeply who I was. Yes. They didn't know my name, but I was telling really some of the most bold, intimate, personal stories I'd ever told as a writer. Yes. It's interesting, too, because when I was going back and thinking about it, um, I really appreciate the way in which you answer questions that isn't pointed. It doesn't feel as though it's aimed to a place that you're going, which is something I think about a lot lately, having children of my own, trying to help them see how the future's round and not a ladder up, you know, in the nonlinear way you address the questions, which I think is such a great way for us to engage. Yeah, I do too. I mean, you know this as an artist yourself, the power of story is real. Mm. We, we, we use that phrase a lot, but I think that we forget to really trust it. Mm-hmm. And when I was really, you know, I took the job very seriously of Sugar. I still do. In my, you know, I, it became a podcast and, and I'll, I'll continue to be Dear Sugar in different iterations mm-hmm. throughout my life. But I really thought, how do I actually help people? Mm-hmm. And what I realized is, well, what's, what's helped me? Mm. And I knew immediately the answer to that. It's art. It's the stories that I found in the books I loved, in the movies I loved, in the songs I loved, in the plays I saw, you know, mm. all, all of that. Those are stories of other people's struggles and sorrows and secrets that were given back to me. Mm. And they allowed me to see myself. They illuminated a path. And I think that that's what I was trying to tap into mm-hmm. by using, you know, th- those Dear Sugar columns. Very often what I'll do is begin to tell a story about my own life that seems unrelated mm-hmm. to the letter writer's problem. You're so tricky that way. I know. It seems unrelated. And it seems, and you're thinking like, what is she Dang even it. doing? Like, why <laughs> is she talking about this when they asked about that? And, you know, that that is a way of turning advice on its head, I think, because it's also what we hate about advice is we hate being told what to do. <laughs> yes. We hate being bossed around. Right. And so I never was going to come from that position where I would just say, I'm superior. I know the answer. You do this and then this and then this. Mm. Um, you know, I think that that can be uh, really, you know, it, it, that can be helpful on occasion. Mm-hmm. I, I do step forward and say sometimes I know what the answer is. Well, you do but, have children for heaven's sake. That's right. <laughs> but most of the time, I think we are, we receive that message more you know, and I, you said that way, that word round, and I was going to say in a more full-bodied way mm-hmm. when it comes to us yes. by way of a story. So here's a funny way to connect the play and the book. Um, we were just talking about the set, and in the original, yeah. you had the uh, opportunity to walk the set and see what was being used, and you noted that there were certain books on the bookshelf. So we share a favorite bookstore, Broadway Books. Yes. Oh, um, awesome. I have my pink punch card in my wallet. (laughs) And I wondered, uh, what are the books that you ended up with on your bookshelf in the original production of the play? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. That that original production of the play was such a really powerful experience. Mm -hmm. And and one of the most powerful things was, just like you said, walking around the set. And I, I did say, Okay, it's really important that the books on the shelves are books that I care about. It, I don't remember all of them. I know there was some Raymond Carver. My my son Carver is named after Raymond Carver. Mm. I know there was some Alice Monroe, who's my favorite mm. writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toni Morrison's Beloved was was on that shelf. There, there are all of these um, writers mm-hmm. who meant so much to me, who 
I felt in some ways, I, I still feel it, mm-hmm. gathered around me. You mm-hmm. know, they're on the shelves in, in my home. And they gather around me. I felt that all through my career. It's funny. When yeah. I go to a movie, I often, I'll say, oh, what's on the book stand? I'm curious what yeah. the characters are reading. Me too. I'm always looking past the characters. Yeah. But, you know, the, another really cool piece of that set uh, that was in, made at the Public Theater in New York mm-hmm. was the refrigerator had magnets on it um, the way many of our refrigerators do and little, you know, notes and scraps of paper and kid art and things. But it had those those colorful alphabet letters mm-hmm. on the refrigerator. Mm. And uh, I I think it was one of the rehearsals, like the dress rehearsal or something. I was sitting in the audience mm. watching. And then afterwards, I was walking around the set. And I took the liberty of forming some words um, on the refrigerator. Oh. I, I put uh, the word Bobby, which is my mother's name oh. and my daughter's name, just very discreetly on the side of the refrigerator. Oh. And Rachel, the set, the the woman who designed the set, was like, "Yes, that's perfect. That's oh. beautiful." And it became it, it was there uh, really all through the production. It oh, was like this lovely. little s- special secret message. It reminds um, me of the Nina signature on those famous uh, Hirschfeld yes, caricatures, exactly. like a little hidden. That's exactly what it beauty was. mark. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Well, here's a big question, but I'm curious. What makes you feel whole in your life? Oh, that is such a big question. It's a whopper, right? It is. It's a big one. Uh, as a, you know, as an artist, I know that there's a lot to balance and and feel out and it and Yeah. It, and I think too, I mean, I'll be curious if you agree with this that that it's not wholeness isn't a state of being that you arrive at and then you're good to go for the rest of your life. Uh, <laughs> <it's> just, dang it. <laughs> I, I, you know what I think of? I, I remember in, in my 20s and uh, when I would rent various apartments and, and they didn't have a washing machine, like I would have to go to the laundromat. <laughs> I have this image of myself, you know, carrying some, you know, like load of laundry and, you're, and you get it all in your hands and you're good to go for a few steps and then you drop a sock and then you manage to pick that sock up and you have another couple steps and then you drop a shirt. And that's how I feel about wholeness in my life, mm. um, you do get better about, you be, get better at carrying the load. Mm-hmm. But I, in my life, I'm always having to reassess, mm-hmm. you know, where have I been? Where am I going? What's working? What isn't? What, what did, what did I need before that I don't need now? And in every way, I mean, it's a really interesting uh, evolution, I think. And to stay awake to who you are in every era of your life. I just turned 50 in September mm-hmm. and I feel myself absolutely, you know, really looking at my life and assessing. I've been through this tremendously fortunate success in my career over the past decade. I have, you know, stayed the same in some ways and changed in others. Um, my kids are now teenagers. I'm now in middle age. I mean, you know, all of these things are shifting around and I have to make choices based on that. So, you know, that that wholeness that I maybe felt when I was 42 gets a little fractured and then I have to become whole again. Mm. I'm working on that now. You know, for me, this time of my life, that's that, that journey towards a, a wholer sense of wholeness mm. was about really seriously learning how to honor the most important things in my life and let go of some of the things that were standing in the way of me having that, even if I loved those things. Oh, that's like hard. my podcast, my Dear Sugars podcast, mm-hmm. really, you know, it was such 
fun working with Steve Almond. It was really rewarding to have so many people listening to us and loving the podcast and responding to the, the advice we gave. But I also, it was holding me back from from writing my next book. Mm-hmm. I found myself becoming, um, you know, a lot of my time being taken up with something that I, that it mattered to me, but mm-hmm. wasn't essential to my being. That wasn't essential to the person, to, to the person I am mm. um, and to my sense of wholeness. So I gave that up. Like that's one example. But, you know, four years ago when I began the podcast, I was excited to do it. I was happy to do it. It right. was, it was the thing I needed to do then. Mm-hmm. And so I think so much of, of really being whole humans is about engaging with those questions and being willing to to you know shift and shift every time something shifts in your life you know yeah. there's new new truths emerge yeah do you think loss connects us yes. in humanity absolutely don't you yes and i'm i'm so fascinated by how we want never to speak about it. Yeah. I know it's, 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 it's dazzlingly fascinating to me too, Mm -hmm. because over and over and over again, this comes up about loss, about shame, about pain, about the, the messy, the bad things that have happened to us, the bad things we've done. And I get to have a front row seat um, to this to this experience a lot when I teach writing, mm-hmm. because of course the first fear of anyone who ever enters a writing workshop, especially with me, is they'll <laughs> say, "How do I? You know, I'm afraid I'll be judged. I'm afraid I'll be condemned. If I write the truth of who I am and what I did and what's happened to me, I'm either going to be judged for my actions or." Somebody in my life is going to be hurt by what I say, or I'm not, you know, I'm not allowed to speak this truth. So many of us have been told that the worst thing that you can possibly do is tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And of course, in writing and in all art making, the first thing on that job description, the first line, mm-hmm. not that we have a job description, but <laughs> if we had to write one, it would be tell the truth. Right. And so, you know, my work as a teacher is always tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. My work as a writer is to tell the truth. And it is what brings people to me. And so I always reassure my students, trust me, mm-hmm. you will be loved. If you tell us your sorrow, if you tell us your shame, mm-hmm. if you tell us your secret, mm-hmm. a whole tribe of people will gather around you mm-hmm. and love you. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again mm-hmm. in my in my own work, in my own writing, honestly, about my grief. When I was writing, when I first began writing about my grief in, in my 20s, in my first essays where I wrote about the death of my mother, mm. I thought, I am just, an, I'm a savage. I'm, an, I'm a crazy person. Mm. Nobody has ever grieved like this before. And I was wrong. I published this essay, uh, two of my early essays, Heroin and the Love of My Life. Both both were in Best American Essays. And in both cases, they're about about my grief over my mom's young death. She died when she was 45. Mm-hmm. And both times, it was like hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, really, thousands of people emailed me and said, I've never heard anyone say what you said about grief, mm. and I feel this way too. So there are two of us. Yes. And I would email them back and say, no, there are 2,000 of us. Right. And now, of course, with Wild and with Tiny Beautiful Things, I'm like, no, there are millions of us. Mm-hmm. I was in India a few year, about five years ago, and I was there to, at the Jaipur Literary Festival to talk about Wild. 
And I got on stage and I looked out on this vast audience. It was like a thousand people from India, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was afraid. I was like, well, what do I have to say to them? about wild. How are they going to relate to my hike on the Pacific Crest Trail? Mm-hmm. And what was so fascinating is, you know, I began talking and, and after my event, I had a signing and so many of them lined up and they said to me the exact same things that people say to me about the book here in Ohio and in, uh, in Germany and all around the world. And that's not, I mean, that's about the ways that loss connects us. Yeah. It's, so deep and beautiful. Yeah. I love, therefore I grieve. Yeah, absolutely. Those two things are inseparable. Yes. Well, there's so many other things I can ask about. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) I know we could talk for hours. We could talk for hours. Let's just face it. So the play is coming to Portland Center Stage, and I know it's directed by Rose Reardon. What's it like to watch yourself being portrayed by actresses? I know Dana Green's going to be playing I you. know. I'm so excited. She's a wonderful actress and a wonderful human being. Well, they both, both Rose and Dana. I'm really honored. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's it like to, to have an actress play you? Well, first of all, it's an experience I've now had twice mm-hmm. with Reese Witherspoon in the movie of Wild and with Nia Vardalis in the play, the mm-hmm. New York production of, of Tiny Beautiful Things. And she adapted it for the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is honestly the most surreal experience of my life. There, there's no getting used to it. There's no, I mean, it's, it's incredibly strange. It's incredibly moving, hmm. you know? I mean, there are some times that, I, I mean, I just can't wait to see it at Portland Center Stage. I mm-hmm. think I'm probably going to howl like a monkey, like weeping and um, beside myself, mm-hmm. uh, probably, the first time I see it. Because it, it is, what moves me about it is... Um, I think it's that sense of like you say loss connects us. Loss also isolates us mm. because almost always we feel alone in our pain. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the hottest core of our suffering is we think we're alone. Mm-hmm. And when I see that play at Portland Center Stage, there will be proof that we are, are not. That, that, that those stories I told and those stories that I received from the letter writers in that book uh, came together and made a community and made a kind of magic. Mm. And so to see that made every afternoon or every evening or every, you know, every day that it's made on the, on that stage is, you know, really proof of that connection that we really have, Mm. not just right now or not just in that theater, but really connection across every divide throughout all time. It's so interesting. I just read the the library book by Susan. Uh-huh. Does she pronounce her last name Orlean or yeah. Orlean? Orlean. Orlean. Yeah. And I was thinking about library books yeah. and about the beauty of them being passed and passed and passed and passed and who reads the books. Right. And every time, I mean, as an actor, I know when 250 people see a play or 2,000 people see a play, then we are all together in that moment. Yeah. Um, and you have that same experience in books. I mean, right now, probably hundreds of people are opening one of your books right now. I know. It's, it's crazy. It's, I know. I'll never get over it. Is it I'm probably I mean, way off. It's a lot not of hundreds. It, it's probably, I don't know. A, a lot of exciting things, like kind of glamorous, exciting things uh-huh. happened to me in the wake of, of the publication of Tiny Beautiful Things and Wild and Brave Enough and, you know, all of that stuff meeting Oprah and going to the Golden Globes and the Oscars and, you know, on and on and on. Like really, really kind of things where I thought, 
what on earth, what life have I stepped into? <laughs> but I'll tell you this honestly and truly and very sincerely is none of that at all compares to the wonder and the gratitude and the glory I feel when I think about what you just said, that, that sense of like people actually experiencing transformation, experiencing a sense that they're changed mm -hmm. by a story I told or a sentence or paragraph that I wrote. Mm. That to me, that, that, that glorious connection we have that art allows us to have when we tell the truth about our lives, when we're willing to receive the truth mm -hmm. about our lives too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that to me, that connection, I think, I think that is the mission of art to build that bridge that, mm -hmm. that connects me to you, to all the people through all time. And like that, that's the most satisfying part of this work. And it's so spiritual and philosophical almost because it's ephemeral yeah. because someone is opening your book right this minute, but you may never know who they are, but you know, it's happening. So how much do you have to know? How much <laughs> do you feel? You that's know? right. Well, th and that's the challenge too, honestly, of the fame thing that's happened with yeah. me because of this is... You know, a lot of times because my work is so personal, I get emails, even phone calls all the time from uh -huh. people saying, I loved your book. I'm going to be visiting Portland. I'd love to meet you for coffee. And I'm like, no, I can't meet everyone for coffee. You know, so to be like, you know, okay, the, the connection, the thing, the, the connection is the book. Yes. The connection is the play. Yes. And then I still have to somehow have my life like a regular person. That that's That's been... An interesting, like this, this deep connection, um, but then also the need to, you know, have our discreet lives, have our, to, to, to just f trust in that bond that art can make right. without trusting. having coffee with everyone. <laughs> right. Trusting in that, whatever yeah. that moment was, that's enough. Yeah. And, that's, and it's what I have to give. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Fascinating. Yeah. So curious, what are you working on now? Can you talk about it? And um, what are the other big ideas right now that are kind of hovering in your, in your mind, in the world, with your children and living in Portland? And Right. I'm really excited about 2019. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about this year ahead because I am 50 and it is this year in which I am going to finish my next book, mm -hmm. which is a memoir mm -hmm. called Daughterland. Mm -hmm. And I have a sense, a new sense of blossoming about that. Mm. And it is because I spent last year uh, letting things go, mm. letting the podcast go. I had a column in the New York Times called The Sweet Spot, let that go. Uh, just l say no to, to more things than I've ever said no to before. Mm -hmm. And and what what it took was in 2018 saying no to things that would happen in 2019 right. because, you know, you have to plan for those no's. Mm -hmm. So I've cleared out a lot of space in my life. I also, I've been spending the last couple of months clearing out a lot of space in my house. Mm -hmm. Like it's all connected, that sense of, you know, creating an opening for me. Mm -hmm. When I was in my 20s and 30s, my deepest wish for myself as a writer was is that I would have time to write, that I would be free of, you know, having to always scramble for a living to make money being a waitress or a teacher or, you know, uh, this, that, and the other thing. I did a million jobs. I was always scrambling to pay the rent. That's how it is for us. That's right. 
And I would always think if I just could, you know, have financial security and I could just write. Now, of course, Wild bought me that financial security. Tiny Beautiful Things bought me that financial security. Mm -hmm. But I've now been busier than ever. (laughs) So that great irony has been I've been having to kind of go, how do I return to that old place? (laughs) That place when I was writing Wild at the kitchen table and I didn't have an office and there were kids all around me. And and so I've had to sort of create those conditions again, (laughs) um, really by having a quieter life mm. so that I can, you know, be in the quiet that writing demands. Mm. So that's what I'm doing. I'm working on that next book. Oh, well, I feel so fortunate to have been able to have shared a couple of glasses of water with you today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's wonderful talking to you. Thank yes. you for having me on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. I hope everybody will get to meet Cheryl through the play at Portland Center Stage, Tiny Beautiful Things, which is going to open on February 23rd through March 31st. You can find out everything you need to know at pcs.org. Um, read the books make friends, talk about them, be nice to each other, and have a wonderful day. And maybe someday we'll have coffee. Sounds good. Adventures in Artslandia is brought to you this week by DOC. Italian-inspired, raw wine-focused, Northwest-grown, theatrically prepared. Visit our sister restaurants Nona and Yakuza. Thanks for listening to Adventures in Artslandia. Download the Artslandia app on iTunes, where you're going to find a comprehensive arts calendar that's the best in the West. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Artslandia.